So uh, a couple things. I'm going to start off this morning by first welcoming everybody that's watching online with our live stream. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I also want to welcome everybody that's here for the first time. And if you are here for the first time, please fill out the visitor response card in the lobby so we can know who you are and know that you visited with us today. A lot of things have been happening in my life, and today I'm going to be pretty real and raw, just like I've been every week. Not that I'm ever not, but I'm going to be extra real and raw today. Uh, because about five weeks ago, I had a really incredible encounter with the Lord. And since that time, I literally have questioned every single thing that I do. Not in a bad way, but in a way of, of being very introspective and asking the Lord, Lord, is this from you? Is this of you? How am I supposed to respond to this person, this situation? I've talked a lot about being spirit-led. I've talked a lot about identity and sonship. But it was as if all the things I was talking about, I actually started to experience on another level of insight and understanding. And since that time, I have really been shown a lot by observing my children. And I've learned a lot by observing my children, but more so now because I'm paying attention. The Lord really, really told me in this encounter that he wanted to restore my childlike faith and that I had lost it in a lot of areas. The simplicity of trusting God the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of loving the way that he loves and being excited and passionate and fired up. And I know some of you are like, well, you're already excited and passionate and fired up. Well, let me just tell you, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? It's just literally God continuing to take us from glory to glory. What does that mean? It means we become more like him in the process of life. And the Bible talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says that when we turn to him, the veil's taken away. We have full access. There's nothing in between us and him. And as we observe him, as in a mirror, we become like him and transformed into the very image that we're looking at, 2 Corinthians 3. So the more that you look at the Lord, the more you get an accurate reflection of who you are. You actually see him in you, and you see the way that you were always created to be. You never really know yourself until you know him. You actually find yourself when you find him. So if you're saying, I just want to know what I'm called to do. I just want to know who I am. Any of those types of questions. I want to know what my purpose is. Find him and you'll find that. But most of us are looking for some by and by pie in the sky, whether it's a career, whether it's a ministry, whether it's a calling. I just want to know my calling. Find him and you'll find your calling. Mark my words. Most people will not pay the price to genuinely and authentically find him and behold him. We're busy. We have things going on. We have responsibilities, cares of this world, struggles, challenges, fears, all kinds of things keep us back from actually observing him. And so I had this encounter where God began to deal with things in my own heart and my own life. And now he's revealing so much to me through my children. So I'm going to tell a couple stories today. And I'm going to tell you this one story that I actually did not want to tell. I was like, Lord, I don't want to tell this story. He's like, you're going to tell this story. I said, okay, I'm going to tell the story. And it's somewhat in the context of money, but bear with me, all right? I'll just tell you guys right off the bat that we're not passing the buckets and we may never pass them again, all right? You purpose in your heart to give. You be faithful with what God's given you. Boxes are in the back and there's a giving station in the lobby. Doesn't mean I may not talk about money at some point and the importance of it and why God gives it to us, but we're not gonna pass the buckets the way that we once did, all right? And so you guys can give there. There's different ways to give. But I'm gonna tell you a story that ties somewhat into money. So this last week, my daughter started having some tooth pain and she was telling us, my mouth hurts, my mouth hurts. So we looked at her gum and it looked a little bit swollen, but nothing overly abnormal. And so we gave her a little bit of Motrin. She felt better next day, my tooth hurts, my tooth hurts. So, okay, well, we're gonna have to get you in the dentist. It was on a weekend. And so uh, we gave her a little bit of Motrin the next day. And that night she said it still hurts. And when she woke up in the morning, she had a fat lip. So we knew that something was going on <clears throat> pretty bad. So we were able, uh, Amber made a uh, dentist, emergency dentist appointment for that morning, uh, three or four mornings back, I don't know when it was. And uh, we went in to see the doctor and I had this feeling that she was gonna have to have this tooth pulled. It's a baby tooth. 
Now, when Cadence was young, three or four years old, she must have fallen and hit her mouth. We don't know exactly what happened, but the tooth started to get a little bit discolored, like a little bit dark. And so we went to the dentist then, and the dentist said that there's probably some root damage, and it's a baby tooth, so don't worry about it. At some point, it's going to push out. Well, here we are years later, and it's not pushing out. She's almost eight. She lost, she's lost some teeth, but has not lost this tooth. Well, what happened was behind this tooth, that nerve damage caused an abscess, and it caused it to get infected. The other tooth was trying to come in, and she got an infection behind her tooth. So we had to make a dentist appointment. And I had this feeling that they were going to have to pull it. And I mentioned it to her, and she was like, oh, my gosh. No way are they going to have to pull my tooth. Like it totally, and Amber's like, why would you ever tell her that? I said, well, I want her to be prepared for what's come. I'm trying to get her prepared that she might have to have a tooth pulled. So that morning, it's actually Thursday morning. I had a, a citywide pastor's meeting. So she took the kids to the dentist and I said, look, call me if you need me. So I was on standby and let all the pastors know I might have to jet. Well, sure enough, halfway through my meeting in the morning, I get a call. They're going to have to pull the tooth and Cadence is asking for me. So I jet out and I go to the dentist's office. And when I get to the dentist's office, Cadence had a look on her face of sheer terror. Sheer terror. Like she was pretty freaked out, scared about what was going to happen. And so I said, don't worry, mom's here, I'm here. And we held her hand. The dentist came in and said, look, we're just going to, we're going to put some, what did he call it? Like, uh, happy jelly or something. He used some term like happy jelly, sleepy gel or something on your gum. It's going to numb it out. And then they put some laughing gas on her. And I was like, give me some of that laughing gas too, because I'm going to need this for this process. Right. And so Kata starts getting some laughing gas and she is not laughing. Let me just tell you, there is no laughter going on. She's straight terrified about having her tooth pulled. And so we're there and the, they put some numbing gel on her tooth. And then the doctor comes in, the dentist comes in, fills up a syringe about, I don't know, three inches of numbing, whatever it is. Lidocaine, okay. And a needle about that long, you know, and of course I've had that done before. Amber's had that done before, but to watch my seven-year-old get it was like, okay, this is pretty intense. So Cadence is super freaked out. She's terrified. She's really scared. They put the numbing gel on, the doctor comes in and the, the gas is on and he goes to, he tells her, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some sleepy, gel, sleepy juice and we're gonna numb this. He doesn't say anything about a needle or a syringe. Just keep breathing in the gas, baby. And she is wide-eyed and terrified and she's really scared. And so the doctor, the dentist starts to sticks the needle and says, do not move sit perfectly still. If you move, I'm going to, something could happen and I could stick you. He's like, do not move whatsoever. So the doctor starts to give her the injection and she starts getting really scared and starts crying. Tears are rolling down her face. And the doctor starts singing songs over her. And every time she would get terrified, he'd say, baby, baby, look at me. Come here. Look at me. He'd pause. He'd say, look at me. Look me in the eyes. Look me in the eyes. Close your mouth. Breathe in from your nose. Breathe in from your nose. Close your mouth. Look at me. Look at me. And she would look him terrified. And then he'd start singing over her. And then a few minutes later, she would get scared. And then he would stop. And then he would say, look at me. Come on. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And we're somewhat like thinking it's okay but for a seven-year-old, she's terrified. And the dentist understood that. And the dentist is singing over her repeatedly and would say to her, this close, look at me, look at me, right in the eyes, look at me. And then Cadence would stare at the doctor. He'd calm her, he'd calm her down. And then he would continue on with the injection. And the whole time I'm watching this and I'm seeing my own self in that chair. I'm seeing myself have experiencing fear or terror in my past and how much the Lord in the midst of fear and terror was this close to me saying, look at me, look at me, it's going to be okay. Because that's what the Lord does. See, one of the things that's happened to me in the last month is every area that I've had fear in or anxiety, I've realized I'm lacking perfect love in that area. Because the Bible says, Perfect love casts out all fear. Fear leads to torment. So if I'm being afraid of anything, 
any one thing that brings me fear is an absence of perfect love. The Bible says not to fear in any area of your life. But I've realized in the last five weeks, I have so much subtle fear inside of me that produces anxiety, worry, and most of the time gets me to put my eyes on my own self. I'm looking at me. What will people think? What will people say? I don't like something that somebody did. And all these things that keeps me distant from people. See, all the time when we're manifesting, God is this close saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. But when other people manifest and do things that we don't like, what do we do? We keep them at a distance because I don't like what you did. I don't like how you acted. I don't like what you posted. I don't like that you didn't reciprocate. I don't like that you didn't call me back. I don't like that you didn't do this or that you left. We have a million preferences of things we like and don't like, and we keep people at a distance when God constantly is face-to-face with us, loving us and never backing down. And so... I've learned that when people try to push me away or I allow people to get distant and isolated, what we really need to do is stand in front of them face to face and love them the way that Jesus loved because that's what he does. And so Cadence had her tooth pulled. Well, last night, Cadence is like, man, I'm putting this little tooth in this box underneath my pillow for the tooth fairy. And I'm like, we, now I'm not a tooth fairy hater, just so that you know, but I teach my kids there's only angels and demons and a Holy Spirit. There's no fairies, okay? But she's seven. I'm not like cramming it down her throat. She's gonna see stuff. She's still a child. She has an imagination. But I'm like, well, you know what? I think an angel's gonna come. She goes, yeah, an angel. I'm like, okay, an angel. We're gonna go with that, right? And so in the morning, this morning, now I'm gonna tell you a story. It's a hard story. And I got very emotional about it in the first service. But I'm going to tell you this story because I don't want you to ever do what I did. I'm going to tell on myself because I have nothing to protect. You know how you know when you're healed of something? When you can tell your story. You know you're healed when you have no shame, no bitterness, no unforgiveness, and you don't care what anybody thinks about you when you tell your story. And I tell on myself a lot. I'd rather be authentic and true to myself than try to worry about pleasing somebody else. I'm here to help you. And I'm learning so much about my own self and the subtle ways that I do subtle things that are not Christ-like. And I'm not out to protect myself anymore. And I don't want you to either. We have a responsibility to train this next generation to come up in the way that God wants them to go. And instead, we subtly put shame and fear and self-preservation on our own kids because we're living it ourselves. And so this morning... When I, you know, I put, I took her tooth and I put some money under the pillow and I went right in because I wanted to see her face right as she was waking up. Well, Zion got up and came right in too, but Zion had $5 in his hand. Now my son has zero regard for money. He has no concept of earning money, no concept of respecting money. He's six. He's yet to really learn what it means to work hard for money. Now we try to teach him. It actually frustrates us a lot of times that he always wants to give something away or give his money away. I'm like, man, I just bought you that expensive toy and you're already ready to give it away? Uh-uh. <laughs> and all the while, he's a cheerful giver being happy to give something away. Now, I want to teach him the value of things and I want to teach him a work ethic. He's six, okay? He cannot go out and mow the lawn yet, but as soon as he can, he will be mowing and raking, and digging holes. And so he comes in with $5. And I'm like, the guy's always wanting to, the kid's always wanting to give his money away. And I'm like, Zion, what's that? He goes, this money, I want to give this to Cadence. First thing, he had $5. I'm like, why do you want to give, why? He goes, I just really want to. I feel like I, I should give it to her. I was like, well, that's so nice of you, son. I mean, that's awesome. Cadence, what do you say? Make sure you say thank you. She's like, thank you so much. And she took the $5. About 10 minutes later, they were all counting money, how much each other had. They opened up their wallet and he, and he realized, wait, he had way less. And he didn't like that. So he had remorse about giving the money and then tells Cadence, I want my money back. And I'm like, 
uh-uh. I said, son, I said, listen, you'd never give something away and then ask for it back. I said, you always, when you give, you give cheerfully and you be thankful and you give it away and you don't think twice about it. But how many of you know when a six-year-old sets their mind on something, they, he was fixated. I, am, I want my money back. There was, it didn't matter what I said. He had his mind set that he wanted his money back. And we were like, nope, you gave that away. You chose to give that away. It's going to be a hard lesson for you. So he goes in the other room and he starts crying in the other room. And I go in there, I'm like, what's the matter, son? He goes, I, I want my money back. I want my money back. I'm like, well, son, you chose to give that away. And he wouldn't even talk to me and he was crying. And I started getting upset about it, that he was continuing to cry about it. So I was like, fine. If the, in my mind, I was like, if that's the way that you're going to be, fine. I said, I'll get you your $5 back and I'll give Cadence my own $5. And I go in and I get the $5 and I throw it to Zion on the couch. And I said, there you go. There's your money back. I said, you missed an awesome opportunity for the Lord to bless you. That was it. Oh man, he started crying. He had more shame. He had more guilt. I put more shame and more guilt on him. I made him feel worse about the $5 and he threw it on the ground and he felt even more guilty about it. And the Lord said, how many times have people done that to you? How many times have you done that to other people? And preachers and pastors that make you feel guilty because you don't give, because I'm subtly afraid that if you don't, we won't have the money to do something. Instead of God loving a cheerful giver. Because what I should have done was I should have said, hey son, it's okay. If you didn't mean to give her the money back, it's okay. I'll get, we, you can have the money back. That's what I should have done. Because I know we want to teach him a hard lesson. But I could have let God do what God does best. Instead of me trying to put guilt and shame on him, I could have let the Lord deal with them. Reminds me of this movie we watched on Netflix. I don't remember the name of it. Heidi or something like that. It's a foreign film. A little girl's an orphan. Her parents died and she goes up to live with her uncle in the Swiss Alps. And the uncle's mean and not nice, but they build this bond. And then she builds a bond with another sheep herder boy, a friendship. And that boy, they become good friends. And then the aunt that's, that basically got rid of the girl decides she can make some money from a really wealthy family by buying her, or by basically getting the girl back to go live with the wealthy family because the wealthy family's got a little girl in a wheelchair that needs a friend. And so if they start taking that friend up into the mountains to play with this girl in a wheelchair to make sure that they like each other. And then the little boy gets jealous. And then one day while the girls are playing in the house, the little boy takes the little girl's wheelchair and throws it down the mountain into a thousand different pieces and it breaks up as it goes down the mountain. And I'm telling you, it, you watch it and it literally makes you angry. They did it. So I was like, the, I was mad watching this movie. And then the uncle comes out and he sees the broken wheelchair and fallen fleet and he looks around for the boy and the boys run off to hide. And then the, the, the uncle goes to find the little boy and the boy's hiding behind a rock crying and I'm thinking to myself, teach that boy a lesson. Seriously. Like he needs to learn a lesson. You never do that to somebody, especially that has a disability. It made you angry. And then when the uncle comes around the corner to the boy, the boy's there crying and the, the uncle says, I'm sure you feel bad enough about what you did. Pick yourself up and come on, let's go. No beating, no spanking. But perfect love which cast out all the fear and all the shame. And it doesn't mean that we don't discipline our children because even in perfect love is discipline. God can be an, be an angry God or he's angry in the midst of perfect love because he's righteous and he judges righteously. But his heart's always in perfect love. And I'll talk more about that, but I'm gonna show you something today 
in the context of what's happening to me. I can't make my experience become your experience. I'm not trying to do that. But what I am trying to do is get you to inspect your own heart and check your own self because if you don't, you won't know how good God is. How do you know God is good? How really do you know? Because you're the clownfish and the coral reefs and the rainforest and the sky and the, you see all he's creating. You think, man, he's good because he created all that. You won't really know the goodness if that's the goodness you're living in. How do you know God's good? You know God's good because of how bad we were. You know God's good because of what he saves you from. Most people do not know what they're saved from. God's dream isn't the American dream. It's not about better careers and more money and better, more friends and how many friends, and everybody likes me and how good of a life I can have. There's, there's something much bigger than that. And the good news is really good news in the midst of bad news. And the bad news is, is when I was bad, he was good. When I was in a lie, he brought the truth. And the comparison of the two reveals just how great he really is. I'm going to show it to you. But the problem is, is most of us don't really recognize or realize the subtleties of our own pride and our own selfish ambition or the fears until God reveals it to you. But there's got to be a desire that says, if there's anything in me that's not of you, I don't want it. See, I prayed that for years. And here I am about to be 50 and walking with the Lord for 28 years. And now God's coming to show me another level of how many things are subtly inside of my life that aren't of him. Little things like what I did with my son. And I apologize to him for that. And I don't have any regret in it because in the regret was forgiveness. And I teach my son, you don't live in regret. I teach him what forgiveness looks like. And then I said to him, here, listen, I'm so sorry. You can totally keep the money. Don't even worry about it at all. And then you know what he said? I want to give her the $5. I said, now, son, you got to do it because you want to. He goes, no, I really do want to. And that's why I tell you guys, look, Everything you have comes from the Lord. God loves a cheerful giver. No one should give, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Nobody should give out of compulsion or necessity. You give because you love. You give because you love to give away what God's given to you without expecting anything in return. Love gives everything away without expecting anything in return. That's perfect love. But how many of us are divided because somebody didn't reciprocate? How many of us are divided because somebody didn't give back when I gave to you and I loved you and I treated you so well and you didn't treat me the same back and you didn't do what I thought you should do? How many of us are angry or mad or divisive or maybe we're not even thinking we're angry or unforgiving? We just don't talk to that person anymore. And that's what God's been showing to me. And so I think about this. In this context, when you realize how much you didn't know you find forgiveness. And it wasn't just a one-time thing when you got born again 10 years ago or five years ago or earlier this year. Salvation's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process of discovery of things in your own life that God wants to deal with. The problem is we don't know a lot of times what they are. Maybe some of you blatantly know, but I can assure you, even what you think you know, if you're living in division or sin or addiction or, reser- or pulling away or isolation, you have no idea what you're doing. You don't really actually know what you're doing. Because if you knew him, you wouldn't do what you were doing. Think about this, very simple. If you really knew the Lord for who he really is, you would not act that way. You never get the right to act that way. Because Jesus laid it all down for everyone at all costs, even when they were mocking him and torturing him and abusing him. Do you understand? I'm gonna show this to you. Take a look at Luke chapter 23, verse 34 and 35. Now, keep this on the screen. I'm going to give you the context of this scripture. Jesus had just walked up the Via del Rosso. He had been whipped 37 times with glass shards and his skin peeled off of his back. They had mocked him and stuck huge thorns into his head in a crown of thorns. Blood everywhere, blood all down his back. He was weak, he was thirsty, he was hungry, he was tired. He had been scourged and mocked for an entire night and morning. And here he is walking up the Via del Rosso and he's so exhausted he can't even carry his own cross. And so they picked this guy out of the crowd by the name of Simon. 
and that Simon has to come in and actually help Jesus carry his cross. And all the while, there's a bunch of women, all the women that loved him and that were close to him and supported him and followed him were there weeping and crying for him. It was total, it was really, really a bad situation. And the women are crying and in the midst of it, Jesus stops and he looks at the women and he says this. You can read this earlier in this chapter. He says this, he says, why are you crying for me? Don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves and your children. Why? Because Jesus knew what was gonna come. Jesus knew what he was doing. Jesus walked in perfect love. The people were the one in deception, not him. Even though it was painful and it hurt, he was saying, don't weep for me. Weep for yourself and the deception of what's happening inside of you. And then it goes on to say that Jesus was hung between two criminals. And as they were hanging Jesus and pounding the nails inside of his hand, Jesus cried out repeatedly, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And the more that he cried out for forgiveness, the more that they beat him and whipped him and hammered those nails harder. It literally made them matter the more that he would cry out for forgiveness. Why? Because they were beating them on their own selves in their own shame. They didn't even realize it. That what they were doing to him was because of what was inside of them. And the more he would cry out for forgiveness, the more that they would scourge him. And it says that they went on to just rip his clothes to shreds and then gamble with them. And then in the next verse, it says, all the while the people looked on. And then the centurions cried out, you saved, your, you saved others, save yourself. And then one of the criminals, think about this. The man that did nothing wrong was taken all the way to the lowest of low by hanging between two criminals. I mean, that's the bottom of the bottom. He did nothing wrong and he's hanging between two criminals. And one of the criminals says to him, you saved others, save yourself. But the other criminal got something so powerful. He said this. He said to the other guy, he said, we deserve what we're getting. We robbed. We were thieves. But this man didn't deserve anything that he, of what he's getting. And then he says to Jesus, don't forget, remember me. And what does Jesus say? You got it. You got it. You figured it out. I'm taking what you deserved. But the other guy was still full of selfish pride and focused on himself and didn't get it. So Jesus is hung between two, two criminals and he's crying out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. All right, go back to verse 34. How many things have we done in our lives out of ignorance? And how many things are we doing now out of ignorance? The word ignorant comes from the Greek word agnoi. It means to not know. It means I don't know. There's agnostics that think there's a God. There might be, and there, there, maybe there is, but he's, we can't know him. How many of us are living not really knowing him? How many things are we doing not really knowing him? Because I can assure you, if you act out, you manifest, you're afraid, you divide, you stay distant, you're angry, you don't forgive, you don't know him. Because if you really know him, you wouldn't do the things that you're doing. So Jesus would forgive even when we didn't know that what we were doing. It's crazy to think about. And all the while we stand looking on and Jesus is looking at us like that dentist was looking at my daughter saying, look at me. Come here, look at me. Look at me in the eyes. It's going to be okay. I love you. I'm for you. But see, we think God's hightailed it off to deal with somebody else because he's mad at you. And he's rejected you because maybe our earthly fathers did the same thing. And that's what we expect. And we live in this world of false humility that I deserve what I'm getting. The truth is that Jesus took what you deserved. It's perfect love. Now, I'm not talking about consequences and I'm not talking about the fact that sin doesn't do damage and rejecting God doesn't do damage. And we'll talk more about that another time. Right now, what I'm trying to get us all to do is understand that if there's any areas of deception and lies, just own it, self-deprecate and get it out because when you get it out, you'll experience how good God is. You wanna know how good God is? It's, he's always good in the comparison or the contrast of how bad we are. Our lie actually reveals his goodness. 
Now that may flip you out. I actually titled that, this message, that our lives reveal the goodness of God. Now I'm going to show it to you in scripture. So follow along. So when we think we know what we're doing, we're actually clueless. Jesus recognizes our ignorance both in the past and the present. And in the midst of us being clueless, he forgives us. Regardless of what we've done, no matter how bad we've been, no matter how much we've rejected God, which ultimately was a rejection of ourselves, he chose to forgive us. Does God forgive when you don't ask for it? Yes or no? Remember, he's hanging on the cross. Nobody's asking for forgiveness. Does God want us to ask for forgiveness? Yes. Do I already forgive my children even when, no matter what they do? Yes. There's never going to be a time I don't 100% forgive my kids. Do I want them to learn to ask for forgiveness? Yes. Do I want them to feel godly sorrow? Yes. See, Zion ultimately felt godly sorrow, and he's like, actually, I want to give it. But see, godly sorrow produces life, and there's no regrets. And some of us are living in regret. If you're angry and bitter and unforgiving or not forgiving yourself, you're living in regret. But godly sorrow wipes out regret because it brings true life, true salvation, and true repentance. And it shows you how good God is. I know I'm, this may be flipping some of you. Let me help you here for a minute. Think about the prostitute that came to the Pharisee's house when Jesus was having dinner. She had heard that Jesus was in the Pharisee's house and she took her dowry worth about $250,000. It was actually spikenard. I said frankincense last spikenard. Very rare oil that she was saving that was given to her probably by her father. She loved that dowry so much that she would sell herself into prostitution. But when she heard Jesus was there and had heard stories about what Jesus could do, she defied all the odds, broke past the religious dysfunction of a Pharisee's house, fell down at Jesus' feet. It actually says behind his feet, started weeping and crying, and then took out her dowry, broke open the alabaster jar, and dumped it on his head. And all the while, the Pharisees are sneering in anger. They're fuming in anger. Don't you, if you were a real prophet, see it. If you really knew God, you wouldn't do what you're doing. But they even questioned Jesus. But this prostitute really had a real revelation of who Jesus was and then caught the revelation of how much he loves her, so much so that she was willing to give it all away freely. And then you know what Jesus says? She's here doing this because she's been forgiven much. Hence, she loves much. But he who's been forgiven little loves little. And I'm going to say to all of you lovingly, God never stops forgiving and we never stop needing his forgiveness. And the more you find God's forgiveness and self-deprecate your own self, the more you're fired up and in love and passionate and love Jesus and see how much he loves you. See, that's the beauty of what's happening to me. There's no shame in the story about my son or my last six weeks of experiences because I'm falling more in love with him. How much you've been forgiven. The exposing of the lies in our own hearts. So God is love. When we reject Jesus, we reject love. God created us and knows everything about us even better than we know ourselves. Thus, when we reject Jesus, we reject ourselves. You got to see this. We don't, we, it's hard to understand it, but he created us, number one. He's perfect love. So when you reject him, you reject perfect love. And ultimately, you're rejecting your own self. And I shared this with you last week out of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 in the Passion Translation. I've always read this differently. I've always read it that they were hostile against him. But look at how it says here. Consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who opposed who? When they were opposing him, who were they really opposing? So if I reject you, who am I really rejecting? Myself and? See, perfect. When you see this, you will be so rested. You won't protect yourself. You won't preserve yourself. You'll stop getting so angry all the time. You'll stop worrying about what other people think about you. Is there anybody that lives in a constant world of being afraid of what other people think or are going to say about you? 
or if they really knew. The way we love our wives and our husbands will will totally change because now I begin to see her the way that I see myself and I ultimately begin to love her the way that he loves me. And I realize instead of manifesting and being afraid or trying to take control, I lay my life down for her the way that Jesus laid his life down for her and I let God do the rest. It's a lordship issue. That's why it goes on to say that Jesus would actually forgive us even when we didn't know what we were doing. It blows my mind. Let's go to the next part of that scripture. If you don't consider what Jesus did, oh, here we are. If you don't consider what Jesus did and love the way that he loved, guess what you'll do? You'll get wore out. Does anybody feel wore out? Is anybody angry? Is anybody mad? Is anybody overly consumed with the affairs of this world? You know, the Bible says that if you're going to war as a good soldier, you got to stop entangling yourself with the world. We're mad about masks. We're mad about COVID. We got conspiracy theories. We think it's going to lead to, uh, you know, the end of the world of one world order. You know what? It might, but it might not. And at the end of the day, there are very real people dying and there are very real people afraid and sheer terror. And all the while, we're reflecting ourselves with our own agendas instead of loving the way that Jesus loved. And even famous Christian pastors are jumping on bandwagons that are dividing the church because they think they're right, but they're not righteous. At the end of the day, I don't think the mass works, but you know what? It doesn't matter what I think because if it brings comfort and hope to somebody else, I'm gonna wear it. And it's not muzzling me because half the time I pull it down to tell you what I think you need to hear. Second of all, I got a voice everywhere that I go. And if it makes people feel better, so be it. It's not gonna stop the gospel. And that doesn't mean I'm gonna take a chip either. And I get it. We're, the church is so divided with themselves and their agendas instead of loving perfectly. You know what we should be dis- doing? Instead of discovering what's going to happen in the world, we should discover Jesus. Because yeah. when you find him, you find you. Yeah. You'll never know who you are till you know him. Yeah. And he's not caught off guard. So if you want to know the answers to how to respond and react, know him. He is the answer. Right? Jesus understood the depth of deception that so many are walking in and that we once walked in. Hence, he gave his life and forgave us and now we must forgive. I remember my mom, when my mom early on was really, I mean, my mom had a lot of health issues, massive amounts of health. She had so many surgeries, I can't even tell you. She was taking a lot of medication and she was, she was dealing with a lot, of ease and a lot of things and she finally gave her life to Jesus. She gave her life to Jesus. I led my mom to the Lord, by the way. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, I was very happy about that. And she, she's in heaven cheering me on right now. I'm telling you, cheering me on. One day the Lord showed me that she's got a lot of bitterness and unforgiveness, specifically towards my, my blood father. She used to talk all the time about how much money he has and how he, needs, he owes us money and how, how he could do what he did to me. And he, she'd talk about it all the time. And the Lord said, you know what? She hasn't forgiven So I stood in front of my mom. I said, listen, God wants to heal you. He wants to show you what perfect love looks like. And I want to ask you right now to forgive my dad. And she said, I can't forgive him. This was many, many years ago. She wound up ultimately forgiving my dad, by the way. But I'll never forget when she, when I hit her straight on with the fact that she needed to forgive my dad, all the hurts, all the pains, all the anger welled up inside of her and she could not forgive my dad. You know why she couldn't forgive? Because she didn't fully know the depth yet of how much she was forgiven. When you know how much you're forgiven of and you love the Lord to no end and you know how good he is, you can forgive anyone no matter what they've done to you. It's not hard to forgive at all because you realize how much forgiveness you've got. But until you realize how much God forgives, and there's not one person, I don't care how good you thought you were. I mean, how bad is bad? We say, well, I'm not a liar, a cheater, a stealer. Okay. But yet we still manifest our own selfish needs, think thoughts, say things, act certain ways that are not Christ-like. Is that okay? And I know this seems tough for a Sunday morning. I'm not at all out to beat you up. I love you to no end. What I'm out to do is to help you understand what does God really save us from? 
so that you can understand how good he really is. He's so awesome. He's so awesome. I can't even tell you how awesome he is. I'm more, if you ever thought I was fired up, I'm discovering even more how great God is by how much he's forgiven me of things. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that that was there. Look at this Hebrews 12, 15. Watch over each other to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace. This is how we should live. Make sure, watch over each other. Cheer them on. Support them, strengthen them. Stop being divisive. And if you really love that person you're dating, then you'll treat them with perfect love and see them the way God sees them instead of trying to get your own needs met like you did in all these other relationships that we had in the past. Because every relationship I ever had, and even how I started with Amber, it was all selfishness and about me. My list, my wants, my desires, and what if it didn't go the way that I thought it was going to go and I married the wrong person? Thank God he finally overrode me with the grace of God and said, she's the one, you better marry her or you're going to miss me. And I married her and I'm a thousand times better for it today. And I manifested for years and years and years and I still have some, but nothing like I once had. Because it was about me. Watch over each other to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace and make sure no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting within them, which will cause, only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. So how do you know God is good? You know God's good in the light of your lie. That's why we have to make sure nobody else is living a lie. And if you're bitter and angry, then you haven't experienced the forgiveness of God and how much he's done for you. We don't have an option but to forgive. We have to forgive, but you'll only be able to forgive when you realize how much you've needed forgiveness for. Okay, now I'm going to show you this awesome insight and understanding. You don't get permission to keep living a lie, but rather the lie reveals just how great, faithful, and forgiving and loving God is and when he comes to rescue you out of it. Your lie reveals how good God is. Now that may spin you, but I'm going to show it to you in the Bible. Let's take a look. Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 3. Now the first three verses of this chapter, the Apostle Paul is talking about the oracles and principles of God and the promises of God were given to the Jews. And that, that promise to the Jews still remains. It still remains, okay? And then he says, but what if some are unfaithful in their divine calling?" Does their unbelief weaken God's faithfulness? Now, this is written, it says some, and maybe talking about the Jews in specific there, but it's also talking about all of us. Every single one of us has a divine calling from God. All of us do. What happens if we're unfaithful to that divine calling? And there's a question here. Look at the question. Does our unbelief weaken God's faithfulness? Does it? Certainly not. Let's keep going. It does not. Absolutely not. God will always be proven faithful and true to his word while people are proven what? To be liars. It's like, okay, well, I'm not purposely lying. I don't think that I'm lying. I don't know that I'm lying. But there's subtle areas inside of my life that there are subtle lies. How I, what I did design today. I was convicted. I repented. I was spirit led. Thank God. But a lot of people don't get that conviction because they don't know the Lord the way that many of us do. So there's subtleties inside of our life that we realize are there in the context of God's faith. He's always proven to be faithful no matter what. And it goes on to say in verse five, This fulfills what was written in the scriptures. Your words will always be vindicated and you'll always rise victorious when you're being tried by your critics. So people try to say, well, if God's good, then how come this happened? Or if God's good, then why didn't he? We're always questioning the goodness and the faithfulness of God, but God never changes. His faithfulness always remains true at all times. He's always faithful to you no matter what. He he always judges righteously. And this goes on to talk about the wrath of God. 
because people still question God is good even when he judges and has to judge harshly when somebody's living contrary to his design. And we'll talk about that later because even in perfect love is God's wrath. But we picture wrath that he's an angry God. He's not. He's a God of love and he reaches out. In fact, the Bible says he stretches out his arm to you all day long. I think about my kids. I have to be careful to stop telling my kids how much I love them all the time. Because I'm like, I love you, I love you, I love you. It's like, okay, already. I know you love me. Let's move on. But I love my kids so much that they mean, they on earth, now my wife is my strongest relationship, but I think about my kids all the time. And my love for them is I would do anything for them, even lay my life down for them. The Lord loves you even more than that. God reminds me all the time, I love you even more than that. And so we see that no matter what people say about God, he's always faithful. Next verse. But what if our wrong shows how right God is, huh? Doesn't our bad serve the purpose of making God look good? Wait, what? I'm not talking about the freedom to continue living. This doesn't give me freedom to continue living that way. But see, I know God is good by how much he rescued me out of. Now, I've read this in the New King James Version probably 15 times, and I really, I, I had to read this over and over and over and over again to catch this. And the Passion Translation really helped me understand it. I know God is good in the context of how bad I was. Now, that doesn't give me license and liberty to keep living bad, but God still continues to forgive me. Blows my mind how awesome God is. In all of our failures, in all of our mistakes, God still continues to love and stretch out his arm and still continues to care about me. That should rock you. If you lived a really, really jacked up life, you should really be in love with God. You should really know how good he is. Though I would say it's even harder for somebody that thinks they didn't live a jacked up life. Isn't that right? Just ask my wife. You were really good. You didn't do drugs and go to prison like I did. You didn't do all that stuff. You lived a good life. Let me tell you, everybody needs Jesus and forgiveness equally. Nobody needs it more than another person. All of us have a human nature. We say, well, it's just human nature. No, Jesus came to kill that human nature. That's why I said anything that's in you that's not of him, Jesus wants to kill it. Now, you already killed it on the cross. But guess what? There's still branches and things in our lives that God's revealing. He says, I'm cutting those out of you. I love you while I cut you. And we just have to say, cut me, Lord. I'm not afraid of it. I know you're a good father. Look at the scripture. Our wrong can show how right God is. Doesn't our bad serve the purpose of making God look good? Of course it does. And he says, I'm talking to you from a human, human standpoint. But watch this. Does that mean that God is, not, is unfair when he displays his anger? No. In fact, it shows it even more so. Let's keep going. Absolutely not. For if that were the case, how could God be the righteous judge of all the earth? He couldn't be. If God didn't ultimately deal with people that didn't repent and continue to stay living in their ways their entire life, he would not be a righteous judge. And that's why some of us have such a hard time with hell and the concept of hell. I remember having a question. I remember being with my Aunt Virginia right here, right after 9-11. I went to visit her in New York. Right after, sometime after 9-11, we were having a conversation about that. And we were talking about the pilots that flew the planes into the towers. Remember that conversation? And I said, I think I said something like, what should happen to those people? And the first thought was, you or somebody else that was with you said, well, they, they should burn in hell. I said, wait a minute. So they should burn in hell? So you believe there's a hell? Because we think that they just disappear, there's no judge, but eternity starts now. And God and his righteous judges, as a, as a righteous God, huh? Oh. What? Okay. God is a righteous God. It says right here, how could God be the righteous judge of all the earth? But that's not the point of this message, though I wanted to bring that up. Because we really struggle with that side of God, don't we? My son never wants to be disciplined. We never want to deal with anything bad. We want to be comforted and live a nice, comfortable, pretty life. But God as a loving father comes in and deals with our stuff, doesn't he? 
But if you see him in a wrong light, you're going to see him as an angry, harsh God. Instead, he's a loving father trying to save everybody. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. People make the choice to reject him their entire life. All the while, he's forgiving and loving and caring for them. Verse 8. Well, let's keep reading. Is it proper for us to sin just so good things may come? May it never be. Yet there are some who slander us. Okay, I'm sorry. Go back to verse 7. If my lie brings into sharp contrast the brightness of God's truth, and if my lie accentuates his glory, then why would I be condemned as a sinner? Go, go back a slide. Look at this for a minute. Huh? Oh. If my lie brings in a sharp contrast to brightness of God's truth, and if my lie accentuates his glory, then why would I be condemned as a sinner? Right? There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But if I'm not in Christ, we're constantly under condemnation. The lie reveals how good God is on both sides. Even in the judgment, he's always good. He's always caring. We don't understand it because we don't like anger. But the Bible says you can be angry but not sin. If you do a harm to my, child, my child, I will be angry. But I'm not gonna sin in it. If you break into my house in the middle of the night, you're going to meet a gun and I'm not going to be in sin. Now I'm going to do all I can to not shoot you. Trust me, I don't want to shoot anybody, but I will have to protect my family in the middle of the night. There's, that's love. But you don't like that. And was like anti-gun and anti-protection. <laughs> that's not the Lord. He even said, if you have a coat, sell it and buy a sword. And I don't live around, walk around gun-toting and I'm not, I don't want anybody to wear open carry here, but you can conceal carry here. And I want you to understand that the lie, the better thing I want you to see is that the lie brings into sharp contrast, what? The brightness of God's truth and the lie accentuates how good he is. And then it goes on to say, so shall we continue to sin in verse eight? And I'm gonna hit this one thing here and then we're gonna, we're gonna pray. Check this out, verse eight. It says, is it proper for us to sin just so that good things may come? No. The end of Romans 4 says, where sin abounds, grace abounds more, but shall we continue to sin? Romans 6, 1, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. There's some people that actually think, now that I have forgiveness, I'm gonna be forgiven all the time, no matter what I do. And you, that may be true, but you're actually being obstinate and you're testing God and ultimately you're gonna pay a bad price for it. It's one thing to not know the truth, but when you know the truth and continue to do it, it's another story. But God and his love comes to deal with it. This isn't, I'm not putting punishment and shame on you. Think of how much the Lord's forgiven you. I'm saying to all of you, and your teenagers may not even realize how much God's forgiven you. Maybe you do. You should. When our wrongdoing and deceptive lie gets revealed by God and we allow him to rescue us out of it, it proves to each of us just how good God is. And when this happens over and over and over and over again, we continually learn and see just how good God is. Our wrong shows how right God is. Our bad makes God look good. Our lies bring into sharp contrast the brightness of God's truth. It actually accentuates his glory, making more noticeable and prominent, uh, making it more noticeable and prominent. This is the core root of knowing God is good and the core essence of salvation. It's why the woman with the issue of blood, I'm sorry, it's why the prostitute could literally give her dowry away, weep and cry and not hold back. Why? Because she'd been forgiven much and she loves much. But when you're forgiven little, what happens? We love little. And I think the fear and the worry and all the things that we do to preserve and protect ourselves all comes from the fact of not knowing how good God is. And so here's what I'm asking all of you to do. I'm asking all of you to ask the Lord, is there any area in my life that I'm living a lie? Is there any area of my life of pride, selfishness, anything inside of me that is not of you, I don't want it anymore. 
I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, what did you save me from? And I want you to recognize and realize that God is so good and he loves you so much that as he starts revealing things to you, it should actually fire, it may break you in the moment. I cried over what I did design today, but I'm not living in regret. I have started to think about how many people I've distanced myself from or been angry at or I'm not in unity or I've been hurt by or I'm not in relationship with now because they didn't reciprocate and do something the way that I wanted. God began to show me all these areas of subtle lies, but guess what he was also showing me in the lie? How good he really is. Even when I discipline my son, I pull him close to me and I say, son, I love you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I care about you. I never want to do harm to you. God is a good father. So let's close our eyes for a moment. Nathan's going to sing over us. I just want you to meditate and ponder with the Lord for a minute. And I want you to just commune with the Lord and ask him, Lord, anything inside of me, I don't want it. I want to know how good you are always, all the time and not run and hide or be afraid or fall into shame. You know, repentance means to change the way you think, which then leads to change the way that you act. You can't turn away until you really see the truth and the love and the light and the goodness of God. You got to recognize your need. So I want to ask you all, as you leave here today, enjoy the process. Don't fall into shame. Don't let shame hold you back. There's no shame. There's only owning it, self-deprecating, giving it to him, and experiencing the goodness of who he is. If you need help processing it, reach out and talk to somebody. But don't let yourself fall into regret or shame. And I want to break regret off of some of you. If you have any regret about choices and decisions, I want to pray that off of you right now. Lord, I thank you so much that you forgive us. And that, Lord, when we see the lie, we see how good you are in the midst of it because we repent. Lord, we're sorry for the way that we've acted or treated others. We're sorry if we've held any unforgiveness or bitterness towards others. Sorry for keeping ourselves distanced and judging others in a way that you wouldn't judge them. Lord, I thank you so much, God, that you bring forgiveness into our lives even when we bombed it and blew it in our past. And I thank you, God, that we don't have to live in any regret that we don't have to be held hostage by our past, but Lord, we can step into the newness of life that you have for us. And I thank you, God, for your kindness and your mercy and grace. And I thank you, God, that you wash away the past through the blood that you shed on the cross. Thank you so much, Lord, that in the midst of lies and deception, you rescued us and now we can see how great and good that you are. Thank you that you protect us always. You fight for us always and that we never have to be afraid of anything or any situation in this world. 
May we love the way that you love. May we lay our lives down the way you laid your life down. And I thank you, God, for helping us to forgive, showing us who we need to forgive. And I thank you, God, that we are so fired up because you're so good. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your mercy and grace. And thank you that you never stop pursuing and giving. I bless every one of you here with great peace, health, and strength in your entire life that you know the Lord for who he really is. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys so much. Sorry it was so hot. We got an AC unit down, but we'll have it fixed by Wednesday. So we'll see you guys on Wednesday.